We're returning to 1 Peter chapter 3. We'll commence reading once again in verse 1, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. That's all here. The Lord's Word. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may, without the word, be won by the conversation of the wives, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear whose adorning let it not be that outward adorning of plaiting the hair and of wearing of gold or of putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner, in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as ye do well and are not afraid with any amazement. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers be not hindered. And we'll end our reading there, asking God to bless it to our souls. Would you bow with me for a moment in prayer? Let's distill ourselves for a moment and ask the Lord to meet with us. Father in heaven, thy word, whether Old or New Testament, has much to say about how people hear the word of the Lord when it's declared. We, Lord, realize that it's a special privilege to be brought under the sound of the word preached, how many millions there are who will never experience this privilege. We also realize with the great privilege there comes great responsibility. We therefore ask for the help of the Holy Spirit who breathed these words into existence. Inspired of God it is. And we pray, Lord, that we will truly be led further into a life that's compliant with the Word of God. This is our great aim, to walk in obedience to thy Word, for that indeed is Christ-likeness. Work that more in us, we pray, and let this be a message in season for all who hear. In our Savior's name we ask it. Amen and amen. My text is that last verse we read, verse 7. Peter says, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor 
unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. So as we come to that verse in Peter's first epistle, I am reminded of something that uh, Paul told Timothy in his second letter to this young pastor. He, he wrote that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. All Scripture is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished, equipped unto all kinds of good works. That means that even when we are studying a passage in God's Word that is aimed, for instance, directly at wives or husbands, it doesn't mean that there's nothing of importance to be gleaned simply because we're not a husband or a wife. We don't switch off just because that particular portion doesn't directly apply to us. I mean, you do know, of course, that Peter was writing to Christians at large, all kinds. Some were married, some weren't. Some were divorced, some weren't. Some were married to heathen wives or heathen husbands. Some had a Christian wife and a Christian husband. It was all variety, but the the Word of God was supposed to be read to them and preached to them and heard by them and believed by them and applied to them. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. So, while there are certainly varying degrees of application in Scripture, it's always profitable for edification. No matter what the passage it's always profitable for edification. So whether or not you're a married man in the meeting this morning or by way of the webcast, whether or not you're a married man, this message is for you. And I can assure you that even though this text is directed toward husbands, I have no doubt that wives will be listening carefully to what it has to say to their marriage partner. As I've been pointing out all along, Peter has been dealing with the subject of submission. Submission from various angles, but always in the context of submitting when it presents the greatest challenge to a Christian. Submitting when it hurts was one of the titles. Whether it would be submitting to a Roman pagan emperor like Nero, or submitting as a Christian slave to a wicked master, or submitting as a Christian wife to an unsaved husband, there's no doubt that Peter is underlining cases where Christians must submit to those in authority over them, even when it seems like they have just cause to not submit. Even when it seems reasonable that they have no obligation to submit, the Holy Spirit says you submit, be subject but as 
I pointed out all along, it's only when the one in authority is commanding the believer to do something that's contrary to God's law does the Christian have the freedom to refuse compliance and say, I will not submit to that. Only then can he reject the authority. As we look at verse 7, we learn that when it comes to the husband's role in the marriage relationship, he too is to be in subjection. Isn't that what the first word says? Isn't that what it indicates? Look at it. Likewise, you've seen that before. Wives, likewise, referring back to Christian slaves and Christians being under a pagan emperor. Likewise, you subject yourself to your husband. And now he says, likewise, ye husbands. Likewise, husbands, just as the Lord commands your wife to be subject to you, so the Lord commands you to be subject to his instruction on how to treat your wife. This is the will of God. This is the command of God for every husband. Yes, yes, when God instituted marriage, he placed the husband in a position of leadership. He did that. That was his prerogative since he is the creator. As the Apostle Paul puts it in Ephesians 5.23, the husband is, he is the head of the wife. It's not a question open for debate here. The husband is the head of the wife. He's not the head in that he's supposed to do all the thinking for her, that she can't think for herself because she somehow has less intelligence than him, but he's the head in that God has put the husband in this position of authority, this position of leadership, over his wife. And because of that God-ordained position, his wife is to obey him, and she is to honor him as her head. To illustrate what that means uh, by the husband being the head of the wife, Paul immediately says in Ephesians 5, as Christ also is the head of the church. The husband is the head of the wife as Christ also is the head of the church. The leader, the authority. It's in his position as the head of the church that Christ says to the husband, likewise, ye husbands, in other words, what goes for the Christian wife also goes for the Christian husband. And by that I mean subjection to the Lord's will in this is not an option. It's not an option for the wife in being subjection to her husband. It's not an option for the, for the husband to be in subjection to Christ, the head. Just what is the Lord's will concerning the behavior of the Christian husband toward his wife in this in this text? What is the what is it this matter that there's not an option about? 
If you were to boil down what Peter says to husbands in verse 7, you would find that he's telling them to love their wives. That's really what verse 7 is all about. It's about loving the wife and showing that love in a particular way. And what is this particular path that Christian husbands are to follow in loving their wives? Here's the path. Dwell with them according to knowledge. That's the peculiar way in which the husbands are to love their wives. That's the path they are to follow. Dwell with them according to knowledge. What is that all about? What is living according to knowledge with your wife all about? It's the Holy Ghost that gave the commandment. And he's the one that illuminates the understanding that we might know what's, what the will of Christ, our head, is. It reminded me, as I was pondering this, of a book published back in the mid-70s by Dr. James Dobson. The book was entitled, What Wives Wish Their Husbands Knew About Women. What Wives Wish Their Husbands Knew About Women. I have, don't have the book. I have never read the book. So I really can't comment on its contents. I have a sneaking suspicion, however, that it was purchased more by wives than it was by husbands, just because of how I know husbands to be. They don't want to know what their wives wish they knew about themselves. But I thought, you know, with a little bit of editing, that idea would do well for a sermon title this morning. What I want to preach on is what God wants husbands to know about their wives. What God wants husbands to know about their wives. Don't you check out because you're not a husband. Don't you check out because you're not a husband. There's, this is all part of Scripture that we need to understand because you have no idea when this is going to come in handy for you. Needful that you understand this. The Holy Spirit lays down two truths about his wife that every husband needs to know if they're going to have a happy marriage, if they're going to have a biblical marriage and a happy home. The more we go away from the basic teaching here, the more we go towards an unhappy marriage and an unhappy home, and we create conflict and trouble and confusion. It is as the husband lives with his wife in light of these truths, dwelling according to knowledge, knowing these truths, that he shows his love for his wife. Knowledge, you see, is useless if it doesn't affect how we live. It's not just knowing. It's not just, oh, I get that. I understand that text. The pastor's explained all the Greek words there, and I have a full apprehension of what that is saying. But it does no good if it's not actually shown, if it's not actually put into practice. And, you know, that's why I say that knowledge is useless if it's 
if it doesn't affect how we live, for, for us to take the words of Paul in his first epistle to the church at Corinth, though I understand all mysteries and all knowledge and have not love, I am nothing. So, what are the two truths laid down by, by the Holy Spirit through Peter that the husband needs to know about his wife, that, that God wants that husband to know about his wife and show that he knows it by how he treats her? I'm only going to get to one of them this morning, God willing. The second one will be next Lord's Day morning. I figured that was only fair. I spent two sermons. I got you. I spent two sermons on the wife. So even though I have one text here for the husbands, I'm going to spend two sermons on the husband. This is the truth I want to set. Here's the truth that we as husbands need to understand about our wives. That's the truth about our wife's constitution. The truth about our wife's constitution. What I'm going to say this morning will be would be countenanced as absolute lunacy in many, many, many churches across this land. I can assure you of that, but I'm just giving you what the Scripture has to say, not what men think about it. According to the Holy Spirit, one of the truths that husbands need to understand about their wives is that they are weaker vessels. They are weaker vessels. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. I realize that many women and many wives have taken great umbrage at this statement in God's Word, and they have gone to great lengths to prove that they are equal with their husband in every way, equal with men in every way. It's far more than having equal pay. You know, this, 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 the feminist movement is far more than just having equal pay and equal rights. It goes well beyond that. This rejection of God's order has led to the modern-day notion that egalitarianism should actually characterize the marriage relationship and replace the age-old concept of complementarianism. I know those are big-dollar words, but they're quite simple when it comes down to what they mean. The, the, the new thinking about the, the marriage, and it's alive and well in those that say they're Christians, the, the, the new thing about the Christian marriage is that there is no head. There is no leader, but both are equal partners. They're equal partners. No one's in authority. The old thinking is that husbands and wives are indeed equal as far as their persons, as their beings are considered. But within the bounds of marriage, God has established different roles for husbands and wives. Complementarianism is nothing more than the order that God established at creation. The husband is the head of the wife. And she is to be subject to her husband. But... This, 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 this present generation has rejected that. They, they've just jettisoned that whole concept, that whole ideology. 
God makes it clear that one is the leader. And if one is the leader in a marriage relationship, guess what it makes the other one? That's a follower. You don't have two leaders. Only one. There is only one head, not two. And they are to complement each other in as they fulfill their respective roles. That's how the Lord made them from the very beginning. Now, Satan has, of course, his mission has always been to reverse the order, to cast it aside, obliterate it. And we're seeing his power to deceive in that realm like never before, right before our very eyes. God says that the woman or that the wife is a weaker vessel. That's just a fact. Before looking at just what that means and what the husband must understand about his wife in that respect, I want you to carefully note that Peter says weaker. She is a weaker vessel. That's, that's a comparative term that appears in the middle of two other words, right? You learned that, basic grammar. Weaker, on one side, is weakest. The other side is weak, right? Weak, weaker, weakest. So if in the marriage relationship she is the weaker vessel, what does it say about him? He's also weak. She's just weaker. But he is weak. Both husband and wife are vessels. And both of them are weak. It's just that one is weaker than the other. It's just a matter of degrees. You see, both husband and wife are as I'm sure you are well aware, although we forget this, both husband and wife are frail and fallen and fleshly creatures. They both are plagued with many infirmities. And Peter, uh, who was married contrary to Rome's teaching. Peter was married. He had a mother-in-law, and Peter knew all about what it was to have weakness. In his weakness, he denied his Lord. Not once, twice, but three times. Oh, Peter knew what it was to be a weak vessel, because he was one. But there is a very real sense in which the woman, the wife, is weaker than the husband, woman weaker than the man. So, so, so what does the husband need to understand about his wife's weakness? One, this weakness must not be understood as a fault. The weakness must not be understood as a fault. The weakness that Peter is laying out here that every wife has is not to be seen by her husband, viewed by her husband as a fault in her. Note that word vessel. 
weaker vessel. The word speaks of something that has been crafted, made, built. So it speaks of the woman, her, her constitution, how she's been made, how she's been put together, how she's been constituted. It speaks of her nature, her temperament, her physique. It signifies all that God did by way of design. All that God did by way of design when he in his infinite wisdom created the woman. In Genesis chapter 2 verse 22, And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman. The Hebrew word made is built, constructed. He built a woman. And if he built a woman, he built it by design. He made the woman just like she is. Even though sin entered because of the fall, God designed and built a woman to be different from a man no matter what the transgender crowd says. God from creation built, he made the woman to be different from a man, no matter what anyone else has to say. So, husbands need to understand that this weakness that Peter's referring to is by design from the hand of God. And it's not something to fault in your wife. Not something to find fault with in your wife. God made her like that. What is this weakness? Well, God created the woman so that she is weaker than the man physically and emotionally. Flat out. She's weaker than the man, physically and emotionally. I'm not saying for one moment, of course, that there aren't women who are stronger than some men. There are. Go to the gym and you'll see them. They're muscle-bound. Looks grotesque, but they are muscle-bound. I have no doubt they could press bench press more than I could. There there are. It doesn't mean that in every case you're going to have a woman that's weaker than a man. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying for one moment that there aren't women who have a stronger nervous constitution than some men. There are. But I am saying that ordinarily, ordinarily, A woman is weaker than a man in those two areas of her constitution. Physically and emotionally. Notice Peter's use of the word wife. Giving honor unto the wife. It's the only time that word is used in the New Testament. Every other time. Gune, if you want to know the Greek. That's the word that's used. Every time the word wife is used in the New Testament whether it's in the Gospels or in Paul's epistles, it's always that word, but not here. Here the word the Holy Ghost uses is gunai 
Kios. You can figure out some of the English words that come from that particular Greek word. The emphasis upon is upon the feminine aspect of women. Feminine. It's all about her femininity. That's the stress of the word. It's not the common term for wife. And you would understand why the Holy Spirit used that particular word in this context of how husbands should be treating their wives because she's the weaker vessel. The femininity. It's tragic that in our current cultural climate there has been a wide-scale abandonment of any ideology that says a woman should be feminine. Feminine. You talk about an attempt to wipe out all gender? A woman, by her very constitution, from the hand of God, is feminine. She can try to dress like a man and act like a man and talk like a man, but even undergo surgery to have her look like a man, but nothing, nothing is going to change the fact that, with very rare exceptions, every female has two X chromosomes. Nothing is going to change that. Two X chromosomes from creation, with very, very rare exceptions, and the rare exceptions enter in because sin enters in. Male, XY. Female, XX. That's how the Lord made the woman by design, and that means that he made her, he made the woman with feminine characteristics. Characteristics that are unique to women, just as God has made men with characteristics that are unique to men. Masculine, Feminine. Men were made to be masculine, not feminine. Women were made to be feminine, not masculine. They're a weaker vessel. So by design, God created a woman to be physically weaker than a man. You'll never, 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 no doubt in my mind, you'll never find a woman holding the world record for deadlifting. It's not going to happen. Currently, it's at 1,181 pounds. Deadlift from the floor over the head. 1,181 pounds. There will not be a woman who will ever do that. It's not going to happen. By bent of her God-given nature, a woman is delicate. She's not rock-hard and unbreakable. There's a tenderness in her emotions that is just absent in men. God didn't make men that way. 
And ladies, since this is how God made you, it would be very foolish to try to be otherwise. It would be going against God's own design to try to be macho, to try to be tough as nails, to try to be masculine, to look like butch. That is going flying in the face of how the Lord has made the woman to be. He made her to be feminine. She is a weaker vessel. Husbands not only are to understand that this weakness in their wives is not a fault, uh, the sensitivity, the, the emotions, and the physical weakness is not a fault. It's just how the Lord made her in his wisdom. Husbands are to honor their wives because of their weakness. When Peter says that the wife is a weaker vessel, the implication is that the man is stronger than the woman. And, and that is by God's design. And as with the case of a woman's weakness, there's no fault to be found in the fact that the man is stronger. He shouldn't be ashamed of it, shouldn't try to change it. That's just what society's doing, isn't it? Isn't that what you're seeing? Uh, masculinity? Chivalry? All that? Throw it out the door. Milk toast. But the Lord made men masculine, made them stronger. By design. That's how they should want to be. Not feminine. Not act like a woman, dressed like a woman. Masculine. But problems occur in the marriage relationship because... The husband misuses the strength that God has given to him in how he treats and deals with his wife, particularly her weakness. Problems arise. It's, it's just at this point that every Christian husband must recall and put into action what Paul told husbands to do in Ephesians 5, love your wives as Christ loved the church. So Christ, the husband, is infinitely stronger than the church. If there's ever been a weak vessel, it certainly is the church. But the Lord uses his strength, not against his wife, not against his bride, but he uses his strength to help her. He's strong, far stronger than the church. And he uses that strength to help the church, not to hurt it. Not to crush, but to comfort. Not to humiliate the church for its weakness, but to honor it because of its weakness, to honor because she is weak. Giving honor unto the wife 
as unto the weaker vessel. You honor her because she is a weaker vessel. You see the picture he's painting? The weaker the vessel, the more gently the vessel should be used. The more fragile something is, the more careful in how you handle it. You've all at some time or another moved house. And you've had to pack everything away in boxes. I don't really pay much mind when I'm packing pots and pans. I don't really worry about being careful. But when it comes to packing the china, mm, I just don't throw them in a box. Each piece gets wrapped up carefully because they're delicate. I'm just going to get into trouble if I treat the china like I treat the pots and the pans. And husbands, we are getting ourselves into trouble every time when we treat our wives like they're iron skillets and they're not delicate china. Bottom line. So, so, so what does that look like when it comes to dwelling with your wife according to knowledge? Because you live with her in light of her weakness... You, you understand, you know she is the weaker vessel. Physically, emotionally, that's her constitution. That means you are to be her, her best friend, her nearest companion. Someone in whom she can freely confide and tell you everything. Because she's not afraid that you will jump down her throat because it's an expression of her weakness, her emotions. She's not afraid that you'll criticize her or condemn her because she opens up her heart and tells you what's going on. You won't become exasperated with her because... You've seen it before, and you've given the same answer before, and still it crops up. No, she is the weaker vessel. I must remember that. She's fragile. I can take it, but she can't. And every time we forget that, we don't live in light of that truth, we cause problems. As I said, this is a display of a husband's love for his wife. And it's being interpreted when we don't give that kind of delicate treatment. He doesn't love me. He doesn't realize he wouldn't treat me like that. He would understand I'm feeble. It means that you never treat her as a stranger. 
but as your closest friend on earth. Someone who is inside of your inner circle like no one else. Isn't that how Christ treats us? Our husband, isn't that exactly how he treats us? Isn't he the friend that sticketh closer than a brother? He never treats us as strangers. Oddities. Oh, come on, pull yourself together. It means that you look to help her with her burdens because you're living in light of the fact that she is weak and she can't carry the burdens like you can carry them. It means that you seek to calm her fears. Naturally, naturally, you've got more courage. You're braver. Part of how the Lord made you. But because you, you realize that she's different, if you're going to love her, and you're going to seek to calm her fears would simply grow out of the weaker emotional constitution. You'll seek to ease her anxieties to understand her weariness and comfort and counsel her in her trials. It's a tall order. But we don't have an option here. We are to live in light of this here, this knowledge. Our wife is a weaker vessel. And I must treat my wife as a weaker vessel. Every time I don't, when I treat her as if she's as strong as I am, I'm dishonoring her and I'm dishonoring the Lord. And we've all done it. We've all done it. Many a time, the failure to do this has resulted in needless friction in the marriage when all that was needed, if I can use a homemaker's terminology. All that was needed was a heaping cup of thoughtfulness combined with a heaping cup of sacrifice. You put those in the mix and it'll come out right every time. 
When you dwell with your wife according to knowledge, you'll remember that because she is a weaker vessel, she has feelings that you just don't and won't have. You're not made that way, and you need to understand that. You are not going to have them. It's actually part of her beauty. Don't you know? The weakness is part of her attractiveness. The femininity is part of her beauty. I married that, that woman because I saw femininity in her, delicacy. Me, I'm like a bull in a china shop. Not her. That was attractive to me. Still is. We don't want to forget that. It sure does make for trouble when you do forget it and you don't live in light of that truth. Your wife is far more sensitive than you are. God made her that way. She is far more fragile than you are. God made her that way. People can say things to you that will just run off your back like water off the duck's back. You just blow it off. Eh. But not your wife. She just can't forget about it and move on. Oh, that's what you told her to do, in essence. Just forget about it and move on. And, but she can't do that. She wasn't made like that. She's sensitive. She feels it. She's too sensitive for that because they touch her heart. They touch her feelings. If you want a happy marriage and a peaceful home, you'll remember that and dwell with your wife according to knowledge. Your words and actions. Remember, she's the weaker vessel. Your words and actions can hurt her deeply. Or they can make her very happy. And make her ready to make you happy. She's weaker. She's not a tin cup that can take a lot of knocks. She's a fine piece of china that is all the more beautiful because it's so delicate and so fragile. How you deal with your wife 
goes a long, long, long way than having a happy marriage. Because she is so delicate, that means that she's much more easily shattered than the ten cup. What husbands must understand about their wives, they're not men. They're women. Tender, sensitive, delicate women. Because she is the weaker vessel, and you are the stronger vessel of the two, she expects you to be her protector. And she should. But not just her protector. That's only one part of it. She expects you to be her provider. And well, she should. You're the leader. You're the head. You provide for her needs. She expects you to be her caregiver. She expects you to love her. Of course, all of that necessitates that you actually dwell with her. Dwell. No, dwell. Ye husbands, dwell with them according to to knowledge. The idea suggested in that is, is that the husband who's going to love his wife in this way and remember that she's a weaker vessel, he's not going to be gone all the time, always going about doing his own thing. Do, do you realize how many husbands are like that? They're just gone all the time. Hardly at home. I'll tell you one thing, they have forgotten that their wife is a weaker vessel. And she needs their protection and their provision and their care and their love and their attention. She's not made of steel. But it's not only in the practical areas of the marriage that you are to dwell with your wife according to knowledge. It means that the husband needs to dwell with them according to spiritual knowledge, not just practical knowledge. The husband is to be the spiritual leader of the home, not the follower, the spiritual leader of the home. He is to be the one to take the initiative, not the wife, but the husband to take the initiative to lead the family to the throne of grace in prayer. The leader who is to take the initiative to lead them to the word of God. To take the initiative to lead his family to the house of God. That doesn't fall on the wife. She's not the spiritual leader. He is. He's the head. 
He's the head. We dwell with our wives according to that truth. There'll be a lot of sunshine. And you'll find your wife will be much more eager to submit to you, to obey, to honor. Because you've honored her. She will honor you in your position of strength. Because you've honored her in her position of weakness. There's one other truth Peter has. We'll come back to that next week. There's enough there, I think, to ponder, meditate on, cogitate, work it out, talk it out. It's good dinner table conversation. Let's bow our heads in prayer and seek the Lord together. Father in heaven, we thank thee for this portion of truth directed toward the Christian home, the husbands in particular. Lord, I have no way of knowing who will down the road hear this message, but thou dost. We pray that whenever and however it goes forth, it'll be blessed of God. It'll be used by the Holy Spirit to bring about transformation in a marriage where it's needed. As husbands, we pray, Lord, for grace not only to understand these truths about our wives, but to treat them in light of these truths that we know. We pray for thy grace and thy love to fill us, for only then, Lord, will we go in the way of God. Oh, bring us back to the house of the Lord tonight to get a fresh word from thee. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.